One of the songs that we sang that Adam led in Pew Packers just before we got started this evening asked the question, what if all the people in the world were Christians? Oh, what a wonderful world that would be. Stop and think about that for just a moment. What if all the people in the world were Christians? How wonderful would that world be? What if all the people in our city were Christians? Maybe just in an area that you live in. How wonderful that would be if all the people were Christians. As we think about being a Christian, as we think about following God, I want you to open up your Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And you're going to have to go back a few chapters because I told you the wrong chapter. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. If I could read my notes, that would help. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18 and 19. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you... Wherever you go. What a profound statement that was made here. I will follow you wherever you go. Several people, a majority of the people in this room this evening, have stood up before their peers at some point in your life and made a statement very similar to this. You stood before others before you were baptized and you said something like, or you answered the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And you either made that statement or you answered that question and you said, yes, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then you left this auditorium or wherever it was that you were at at the time and you went and you possibly changed clothes And you entered the waters of baptism. And when you got out of that water, when you were raised from the waters of baptism, you probably thought in your mind something very similar to what we just read in Matthew chapter 18. At that moment in your life, if somebody had come up to you and said, will you follow Jesus? You would have said, I will follow Jesus wherever He leads me. Wherever I need to go, I will follow Jesus. And you are ready to be 100% committed to following Jesus. When you think about that moment in your life, we make those statements so often, just as this scribe did here, I will follow Jesus wherever He goes. And when we make that statement, that completely changes our life. Or, on second thought, does it actually change our life? For a majority of our time tonight, this evening, we'll be in the book of Acts. Let's begin in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, the first three verses. Acts 9 verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he'd approached Damascus. 
I know the verse doesn't stop there, but let's stop there for just a moment. Maybe you know the rest of this story. If you do, for just a moment, forget about what happens next. If you've never heard this story before, then go home and read the rest of the story tonight. To me, in my opinion, it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. There's so much here in Acts chapter 9. We're going to stop right here. We're going to stop while Paul's still on the road to Damascus before anything has happened. And we're going to play a a small game of what could have been. Because you see, what would have happened if the story didn't go the way that it does? What would have happened if Paul had never lost his sight on the road to Damascus? What if Paul had never seen what he saw on the road to Damascus? What would have happened? Of course, we don't know the answer to that, but for just a moment... Let's think about what might have happened. If you are still got your Bibles open, flip over a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 23. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, we read something very important about Paul that I think will help us answer the question that we've posed to ourselves this evening. In Acts chapter 23, verse 1, we see, "...and looking intently at the council." Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. But wait a minute. We just read that Paul, or Saul, had spent a part of his life persecuting Christians. How could he live in good conscience up until this day? How could Paul make a statement like that? Surely he was talking about after his conversion... Surely Paul didn't think that he was really in good conscience before his conversion on the road to Damascus. Maybe I'm putting words in in Paul's mouth that he never said or never thought, but I, I don't think that's what Paul meant. I think Paul truly meant exactly what he said. I think he meant, I have lived in good conscience up until this day. You see, when we read or when we see Paul, when we read his stories and all that he did, we see a man that was 100% committed to everything that he believed in. The story that we're at in Acts chapter 9, Paul's on his way to Damascus. And he has letters that he can persecute any belonging to the way, any that are Christians. If he finds them, he can persecute them. You see, Paul, or Saul at the time, was so determined that he was right, that he was going to do everything that he could to rid the world of what we would call today Christians, those belonging to the way. You see, Paul was bought in 100%. He gave his all to what he believed. But you see, on the road to Damascus, Paul would quickly learn that his beliefs were off. That what he believed was no longer the truth, or was never the truth. But he finally understood what the truth was. And then we read the rest of Scriptures, and Paul was definitely one of the most influential men in spreading the church after that conversion. But let's go back to our original question. What if that conversion had never happened? What if Paul continues on the road to Damascus and he makes it to his destination? I think we can pretty safely say that Paul might have done as much harm to the church as he truly did good for the church after he was converted. 
What would have what would have happened had Paul made it to Damascus? We might read stories in Scripture that talks about how this man Paul ravaged the church, continued to ravish the church, to continue to be a thorn in the side of those that were trying to spread the news, trying to spread this new teaching. I think Paul would have been very influential in, in his works, no matter what he did, because we see a character who was 100% committed to what he believed. The rest of the Bible may read a little bit different had Paul made it to Damascus and not had this life-changing conversion on the road. Let me ask you a question, and let's apply this to the year 2016 to each and every one of us sitting here this evening. What does this have to do with me? Why is he up here talking about what could have happened? There's something in your life tonight... Each and every person sitting here in this room this evening. There's something in your life that you give 100% to. There's something in your life that you do with every bit of effort you have. There's something that you give your all to. Here's the question. What is it in your life that you give everything that you have to? What is it that you give your 100% to? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Is it your home? Your house? The things that you have in your house? Is it God? What is it that you give 100% to? Now... Before you start to, to turn me off, let me say this. This is not a, a another sermon. You may be thinking, oh great, here's another sermon that tells me I can never have fun in life. That's not what I'm saying, and I hope that's not what you're hearing. Those things that we just mentioned. God never says you can't have those things in your life. You can't have things that make your life enjoyable. But I think God does tell us that we should be willing to give up any of those things if they get in our way of giving God 100%. What in your life do you give 100% to? The easy answer is to say, just like the scribe did it in Matthew chapter 18, I give 100% to God. Everything that I do serves God. I will go with Jesus wherever He goes. We can say that all day long. But the truth is... The question that we have to answer is, do we actually live that in our day-to-day lives? Do we truly give God everything that we have? Do we give God 100%? The other day, I was going to the post office or somewhere, and on the radio, there was a comment made that, that was kind of the basis for this lesson. And the comment that was made on the radio the person said, I believe in God, but I hope that He will forgive me for not serving Him every day when my time comes. I believe in God, but I hope that He will forgive me for not serving Him every day when my time comes. We think about that statement, and we may drop our shoulders a little bit, we think, how could someone make a comment 
as that. But then do we challenge ourselves to look in the mirror and think that maybe sometimes we utter those words with our actions? I believe in God. I'm at church on on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights. I, I never miss a Bible class, but I just can't talk to my neighbor about Christ. I'm here when I need to be here, but I'm just not going to go sit with that person at the fellowship meal. Yeah, I I believe in God, but there's no way that I can do what they're asking me to do. Go visit on a Tuesday night, are you kidding? I've got other things to do. I believe in God when it's convenient. Yeah, I believe in God on Sunday mornings, on Sunday evenings. But, you know, if I really told people that at work, do you know what people would think about me? Yeah, I believe in God, but not on the golf course. Do you know how frustrating it could be on the golf course? i got to have my time away. Yeah, I believe in God. But I hope He really doesn't expect me to, to truly be 100%. i got to have my free time. I don't know what road you're on this evening. There may be some sitting here this evening that are on that road to Damascus. There may be some sitting here this evening that are on the road to nowhere. You just really hadn't made up your mind what I'm going to do yet. Yeah, I believe God, but I'm not quite ready to make that commitment. After all, it's asking a lot. It's a life-altering decision. So I'm just not quite there yet. Maybe we don't know where we're headed. We're just living life day to day. When it's convenient, we'll serve God, but you know, I've got other things I've got to do too. I don't know where your road is leading this evening. I'm very thankful and I'm very encouraged that most people sitting here are on the road that they need to be on, that they're on the road to heaven. But I think there's somebody sitting here tonight, and I don't have a specific person in my mind. Maybe it's me. But there's somebody sitting there tonight listening to this, maybe writing down what they're going to have for dinner or making their grocery list for the week. And you're not on the path that you need to be on. Maybe you're not doing anything as as evil as, as Saul was doing. Maybe you're not persecuting the church. But maybe you're just on that path to nowhere. You haven't fully made the commitment. You're not 100% in what you do. As you sit here this evening, ask yourself, if my path ended tonight... What would be at the end of my path? You see, we read this story in Acts chapter 9 and we know that at the end of the path that Saul was on at this time, on that road to Damascus, 
He was on his way to persecute the church. He knew what was at the end of that path. But something happened in his life that changed his path. And he made a complete turnaround from persecuting the church to doing as much, if not more, than anybody else has ever done to expand the church. We were that way at one time. We were going down a path and we were completely hopeless. And then somebody told you about the sacrifice that Christ had made on the cross. And somebody told you that Christ had died for your sins. And you started to get a glimmer of hope. And somebody told you that Christ had died for you. That He had given His life. That He had shed His blood so that it could wash away your sins. And your hope began to grow. And you said, you know what, I want to be more like, I want to be that Christian. I want to be that person that they're talking about. And whatever road you were on, you had heard it and you believed and you wanted this hope and at this point you were ready to repent. And just as Saul did, you made a complete change in your life. You said, I'm going down that road because heaven's at the end of that road. And you repented and you confessed and you said, Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that with all my heart and I will follow Him wherever I need to go. And you were buried in baptism and you were on the road and you were going as fast down that road as anybody that you've ever met because you were on fire. And then you get to a bump in the road. Or then maybe you run into somebody else on that road that discourages you, that disappoints you. And you think, maybe this is not the road I really want to go down. And you slow down a little bit. And then there's a fork in the road. And you're no longer on the path that you need to be on. And the further and further you get away from that original path, you begin to question, will God ever let me back on the road that I need to be on? Because I know I'm not headed there now. And then you start to convince yourself, you know what? I've done too many things to disappoint God. There's no way I can ever get back on track. There's no way I can ever get back to the path that I need to be on. Because we truly sometimes misunder, or we underestimate the power of God, just like we talked about this morning. Those Israelites that didn't think God could give them the promised land. They didn't truly believe in what God's power was. I heard a statement once, and I asked him for permission, Alex DeLeon, who has become one of my really good friends, and I appreciate so much encouragement that Alex gives me. And and he made a statement, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, that I heard for the first time. And I asked him if I could use it tonight, because I, I think it's something very powerful. And others in here have heard this statement too. But he said that he used to be given advice as he would grow up. And that advice was, don't take advice from somebody who has different consequences than you have. Think about that for just a minute. Don't take advice from somebody who has different consequences than you have. I think that's pretty powerful. Because you see, so often in life, people want to tell us how to do things. 
But they don't have the same results facing them that we do. People want to tell us what we should do with our lives, but they don't face the same outcomes if they make those decisions as we do. And so the next time somebody tries to tell you what you should be doing, ask yourself, if they were in my shoes, would they really do this as well? I've thought a lot about that ever since he said that. And I want to change that around just a little bit. And I want us to think about that tonight. We have a creator. And that creator is God. We have a judge at the end of our lives. And that too is God. For just a moment, for for the close of this lesson, open your Bibles up to Revelation chapter 22. Some of the last words that we read in Scripture. Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As we think about these words in Scripture... God is our creator, and God will be our judge. Why in the world do we try to please so many people in this world, but we forget to please God? Why do I care what people think about me, and yet I refuse to put God first in my life. I'm going to end this lesson a little bit different. Because as we look around, we see people who are with us this morning who are not here this evening. And I know some people work. That's not what I'm talking about. But y'all know what I'm talking about. This lesson was done intentionally on Sunday evening. Because here's what I want us to think about. I'm not very good at letting something go. And I want to be the first one to apologize at the end of this lesson. Because there's so many times in my life when I feel like I have to be right. And there's so many times in my life when I think, you know what, this is a good idea, I'm going with it. And I'm as stubborn and I'm as hard-headed as anybody else in here. If you don't believe me, ask my mom. If you don't believe her, ask my wife. But let me ask you this. One of my favorite comments from our gospel meeting is one that I'm going to repeat. I'm going to steal the words that he said because he said them so much better than I could. We have to remember that the enemy's not in here. The enemy's out there. Sometimes when we come together in this building... We get so stubborn and so hard-headed, me first, 
As Jim also said in the meeting, he's talking to himself. I'm talking to myself right now. We get so stubborn and we get so hard-headed that I put proving that I'm right above serving God. And if I have done that to you, I want to apologize. And I want your forgiveness. But you know what? Let's not live in the past. Because right now is a new moment. Let's remember that the enemy is outside these doors. If I'm trying to talk to somebody about Christ, and I do everything in my power to prove them wrong, but in the end they refuse to serve God because I've made them so mad, I haven't changed the situation the least little bit. You see, sometimes with others that we come in contact, we want to prove that we're right. And we want to prove that we know what the Bible says. And I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up and defend the truth. But if my goal in life is to prove that I'm right, I don't think I'm doing what God wants me to do. I need to worry about winning that person that's lost. And that needs to be my number one priority. Humility. Love. That's what wins people to Christ. Not proving that I know more about the Bible than they do. Can I humble myself? Can I show my neighbor that I love them? And that I want us to all go to heaven? The enemy's not in here. The enemy's outside. What road are you on this evening? And where will that road end if you don't get off that path? Because as Jesus said, as we talked about this morning, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. He is our beginning, and He is our end. The God that created you will be the God that judges you. Are you trying to make people happy? Or are you trying to make your Creator and your judge happy? What's your purpose in life? What path are you on? Our crowd tonight is smaller than our crowd this morning. But if every person sitting here tonight made the commitment that I'm going to give 100% of whatever I have left to prove that I'm going to make God happy, God is going to be first in my life, and Satan is going to be the enemy, not the people sitting in the pews, not the people at work, not the people that tell me that I'm wrong. God is going to be who I'm working for, and Satan is going to be the enemy. Oh, what a wonderful world this would be. Tonight, where's your path? Do you need to get on a new path? I myself need to get back on the path that leads to heaven. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to do everything that I can. Because it's not about proving that I'm right. It's about showing the world that God's right. Let's all get on that path together. And let's go defeat the real enemy. And let's spend eternity with each other in heaven. If you need to get back on that path, if we can do anything to encourage you, Come right now while together we stand and while we sing.